Hello and welcome back to Fast Charge. This is episode 75, which means we are three quarters of the way to a full century of Fast Charge, um, which I'm pretty proud of. I'm pretty happy about that. It feels fitting that this week it is the core three of us here on the show. I'm joined by Lewis and Toddy, uh, which actually I think is the first time we've had all three of us in, I don't know, a month, like a month and a half. Maybe a month. Yeah, I think it's yeah. about something like that. Yeah. Uh, Incredible. We've had a string of illnesses and absences and holidays and all sorts, but we have us all back here because none of us could possibly miss talking about the latest OnePlus phone, as obsessed <laughs> as we are. Uh, that is, of course, our first topic for today, the OnePlus Nord 2. Very conveniently, OnePlus have actually scheduled their launch event to take place just ahead of the show, just as a personal favor to Fast Charge. So, I was going to say it was nice that they called you up before. Yeah, I thought it was really yes. considerate. They checked you? the timing, yeah. very careful about making sure we right, you know, got the time zones right so there wasn't a mix-up yeah, yeah, yeah. there. Um, really nice guys uh, now if all the other guys can do that too that'd exactly. be great <laughs> so we're going to kick things off with a OnePlus Nord 2 which has literally just been unveiled and I'm happy to say I have one right here which is accidentally kind of matching my top mm. I really didn't plan that but there we go accidentally, accidentally. Oh, yeah, yeah alright uh, <laughs> then we are going to turn to do a, a little roundup of quite a few of the other launches coming ahead summer is normally a really quiet time in tech at least in the phone space you get big waves of launches in spring and autumn but this year is actually pretty different and we have a load of launches lined up just over the next few weeks we have new phones definitely on the way from honor from huawei and from samsung and these are big launches along with a couple other smaller things we're going to talk about too so we're going to do a quick kind of whirlwind run through some of those launches and what's up on the horizon and then finally we are going to turn to netflix uh, Netflix made headlines last week when they hired a gaming executive, and then this week they confirmed in an investor's call exactly why they did that, which is that they are going to start making games, or at least publishing games, uh, and that they are going to do that primarily for mobile platforms at first, which makes it a prime fast charge topic, so thank you. Before that, we will run through a few other bits and pieces from the week. First up, we're going to start with a company that was not as kind as OnePlus to uh, check their news timing with us. Steam, or Valve rather, picked the exact timing of last week's show to launch the Steam Deck, which is their Switch-style PC console. Um, very odd product. It is essentially a, a handheld PC in a Switch-style format that will primarily run through Steam, though you will be able to do some other PC bits around it. Uh, we're not going to dwell on it this week because it did launch last week and in the time since it's already gone on sale or like pre-orders have started the reservation system's already like booked out and ended so it feels like it's kind of been and gone in a way um, but yes if you are hankering after the option to play PC games in bed on a thing that's a bit like a Switch the option is now there and it's surprisingly affordable uh, back to sort of core phone stuff We've got uh, a few little bits and pieces from the last week. First up, we spoke last week about the Realme GT when Chris came on the show to review it. At the time, we mentioned that they were working on something called the Master Edition that was going to get a Chinese launch. Uh, happy to say that has had a Chinese launch. We didn't lie. Uh, the Realme GT Master Edition and, Toddy, I want to say the Master Explorer Edition is the second uh, version? I believe Explorer goes at the end. Oh, the Master Edition think, Explorer? Which... Makes less sense yeah. to me. What you said makes more sense to me. Yes, yeah. Uh, just yeah. In a nutshell, um, 
Realme does these Explorer editions, has done over previous generations of its, usually it's flagship phone. <laughs> usually they're really just a design change. Um, they partnered with this um, Japanese designer, his surname is Fukusawa, I forget his first name. Mr. Fukusawa though, he has been brought back in for these two. Um, the difference here between those two devices is that they are actually also sporting different specs as well. Mm-hmm. That includes the processor, one is a Snapdragon 778G, one is a uh, 870, um, and different camera setups. And they also come with like some exclusive like street photography camera modes they've got some partnership from rico they've got some other brand in there as well so there's like kind of just a kind of interesting tweak on the gt yep. but deeper than previous versions of uh master edition have ever been yeah it's worth pointing out Toddy mentioned they've got different specs to each other those two but they're also mm. both different chipsets to the core gt which is a Snapdragon 888. Uh, Chinese launch for those phones, I suspect it's unlikely we're going to see them elsewhere, but we don't know. So maybe Realme is broadening its push globally, so you never know. These might actually turn up elsewhere, but I wouldn't hold your breath. Um, Xiaomi, one of the other Chinese players, obviously, interesting to get news today that there was a report that their 200-watt charging, which we've spoken about before and has been revealed before, there was a report today that that has actually now is ready to go into mass production for a phone next year, uh, which has immediately prompted... I think actually the original report also suggested it would be the Mi 12 Ultra that gets this. Hmm. So, I mean, we only pretty recently had the Mi 11 Ultra, so we're already looking at least a year ahead uh, or around a year ahead. I think the prediction was June 2022 for this Mi 12 Ultra with 200 watt wired charging. Um, Very speculative right now, but it is pretty impressive that we are probably going to get a 200 watt phone within 12 months, uh, which is wild, given that it's only pretty recently we've started to see the breakthrough, the 100 watt barrier. And that's still a handful of phones, mostly gaming phones, rarely ones that make it out of China. Um, The Mi 11 Ultra has had a global launch, so if the Mi 12 Ultra also did, that would be, you know, immediately a fast charging leader worldwide when it arrives. Uh, what else? Apple. A little bit of Apple news. We don't always round up Apple stuff because there's so much of it. Constant barrage of leaks. Uh, but one that caught my eye this week was an iPhone SE rumor, um, which is basically the news that, to no one's great surprise, Apple is working on another iteration of the SE. Um, it's due next year, though. So if you were holding out hope we were going to see one this year, those hopes have probably been dashed. Um, it's due next year. Unsurprisingly, given the fact that it's next year, it will apparently support 5G, and Apple will at that point be fully 5G on on every model. Um, and the final little tidbit, which actually I'll admit did surprise me, this report also claims it will use the same iPhone SE form factor. So they're not going to go full screen for the SE, it's going to stick with the home button and the small 4.7 inch display and all of that, which is the bit that worries me. And I hope that's wrong because I didn't love the SE and it's partly because it felt very dated to me when it launched last year, almost a year and a half ago. But it's another year before we see the next one. At that point, it's still not full screen, not even close to full screen, like, you know, huge bezel at the top and bottom. Um, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm I'm all for a small like, SE, but yeah. they should just revive the XR yep. form factor and display tech. That would be the obvious donor device, I would say. Uh, the main thing, though, between the design and, and other features that I'd rather see improved, I think camera for me was the biggest weakness in that phone, yep. more so than having, I know the screen was very low res and LCD and all that stuff. 
But, um, you know, there's a weird sort of advantage to having a low-res screen with a high-end processor, like the chip inside mm-hmm. that phone, which mm-hmm. means you get ridiculous performance, which it could do. Um, so I think, yeah, if they could just make a camera that could take low-light photos like the newer, fancier iPhones can, that would be a much more competitive offering than just making sure the screen's bigger and fills the front of the phone more. Well, especially because the SE was a weird one because it was clearly artificially hamstrung in camera software features because yeah, it has the definitely. same chip um, as the, the sort of the main iPhones of that year, but they didn't let it have all the same software features that those phones did. And you kind of look and think that you must have just decided to like flip the switch that says, no, it, it can't, can't do that stuff. Um, and that's a very weird artificial kind of locking in that you don't see very often on the Android side, at least. Um, but yeah, I'll admit, I, if if an SE comes out next year and still looks like that, I will be quite damning about it. I don't think they <laughs> oh, can yeah. get away with that in 2022. That's just embarrassing, but we'll see. This is just one report, so it may be wrong. Uh, and the final little bit is not smartphones, it's smartwatches, which is Qualcomm put out a press release this week. I'll admit, not a desperately exciting one, but basically confirming that they are working on the next generation of chipset for Wear OS devices. Um, for smartwatches so that's not too surprising we know google and samsung are working on an updated version of the software it makes sense that there'll be updated silicon to start going into some of these devices what is also maybe even more interesting than that is one of the tidbits that samsung uh, qualcomm sorry revealed some of the shipment figures for the wear chipsets so far and it does tell you a lot about how wear os as a platform is doing compared to apple watch um, so Qualcomm claims that over the entire time it's been making these Snapdragon Wear chips for Wear OS devices, it has shipped around 40 million of them. That sounds like a big number, uh, but I think it was Android Authority um, or maybe Android Central, I'm sorry, the names are so similar, that went away and did the maths and figured out that in just Q1 of 2020, Apple shipped 20 million Apple Watches. <laughs> so in half a year, give or take, (laughs) Apple ships the same number of Apple Watches that Qualcomm has shipped Wear OS chips across four or five years. And admittedly, there are Wear OS devices that don't have Qualcomm chips, but they do make up the majority of the Wear OS market. Um, So that tells you a lot about how sharply the scales are tipped in Apple's favor in the smartwatch space and how much much catch-up Google have to play here, even with uh, the help of Samsung and Fitbit going forwards. It's funny, sometimes these Qualcomm technologies that promise so much or just look very appealing on paper just don't ever land. I remember, I think it was Quick Charge 4 as a standard, Mm -hmm. just was very hard to come by, um, or or 4.1, whatever the the kind of evolved version of that was. It just took ages for it to actually kind of make its way into chargers, third-party accessories, and phones. It just wasn't really the standard that people use. They kind of were turning their attentions to PD charging, and it's been the same with the Snapdragon Wear line. Like, you know, we talked about the fact that uh the tick watch which we mentioned a few weeks back uh the e3 i think it mm. is is like the second ever or like the second most like well-known watch out there to sport a snapdragon wear 4100 the first being another mobvoi yeah. tick watch it's just yeah it's very odd that sometimes they just don't know how to get their research their products into manufacturers hands yeah it's hard to know from the outside who even to blame there because certainly some of the blame has to lie yeah. with qualcomm and, and their chips have often in the smartphone space have felt weak compared to apples particularly as you point out you know they have this updated version that no manufacturer has bothered using and you look and say is that do we blame the oems for not caring about specs and performance do we is it qualcomm's fault because it's priced those chips wrongly 
And so there's no incentive for anyone to use the new ones. I don't know, probably a mix of mix of the two, but um, mm. hopefully this is a space we see improve because I think it is, I don't feel like it's unfair to say that Qualcomm's chipsets bear part of the blame for why Wear OS has just never really taken off because while their phone okay. chips have been very solid, I just don't think that's true of their uh, of their wearable chips. But let's move on, in fact, to another company that has jumped ship from Qualcomm. Um, OnePlus has unveiled the Nord 2, the first full sequel to last year's OnePlus Nord. Though between then and now, we've also had the Nord N10, the Nord N100, the Nord CE 5G, and the Nord N200, uh, making this now the sixth Nord phone. But it's the Nord 2, <laughs> you know. Phone names, you, got, you just got to love them. Love them so much. Them. <laughs> uh, this is a follow-up to the original Nord. It bears that, sort of, for, for better or worse, a lot of the specs are kind of similar, um, though there's enhancements mostly across the board with like one key area they haven't stepped things up. Um, it also has one of the big downsides of the original Nord, which is it's limited to Europe and India. So if you're in North America, for some reason, we still don't understand it, you are not going to get the Nord 2, just like you didn't get the Nord, just like you didn't get the Nord CE, uh, and you are stuck with the N200 and then the, the flagship stuff. Uh, but let's dive into what this phone does and what it doesn't do. Um, a lot of the specs have been known before today's launch event, because OnePlus just keeps announcing stuff ahead of time. So if you've been paying attention, you'll know that this is the first OnePlus phone ever to not use a Qualcomm Snapdragon chipset. Uh, instead, it uses the MediaTek Dimensity 1200 AI, which is a, the AI is kind of, in a way, the significant bit of that. That basically is a signal that this is a custom OnePlus variant on the Dimensity 1200 with, you guessed it, some like extra AI features, um, which I feel most people won't really notice are there. But the point is, it's special and custom and unique, and it's only in this phone. <laughs> And the, the 1200 series is what MediaTek considers its flagship mobile chip right now. Yes, it is. And, yeah, and I think that is the interesting point here is that last year the Nord had a Snapdragon, but it had a mid-range Snapdragon. And then what we're seeing here is the top tier MediaTek Dimensity chip right now. So this is just plainly a flagship chipset in this phone. Um, I'm aware people are certainly in the West are maybe a little cagey about MediaTek chips. And there's a sense that Snapdragon is superior and Qualcomm's chips are better. And there's certainly a sort of appeal to Qualcomm. So some people might see this as less premium in a way, but this is a more powerful chip than what we saw in last year's phone, even if it doesn't have a Qualcomm logo on it. Um, and it should do a very good job of powering this phone. I mean, it's worth saying, yes, it's MediaTek's flagship. It is behind the 888 in performance. Um, it's not on a par with that. But being behind the 888 still puts it well ahead of Snapdragon's 7 Series chips, their mid-range ones. Um, so very solid chipset. The charging and battery stuff is also kind of flagship level in a way. 4,500 milliamp hour battery and 65 watt fast charging. So that's pretty much flagship tier, though we do see those kind of specs in cheaper phones too. Um, and then the other spec that really feels flagshipy is the camera. It's not flagshipy in the sense of how much versatility the camera has, because you just have a an ultra wide lens, which is eight megapixel, and then a two megapixel. Uh, I think it's a macro, but it might be a mono or a depth center. It's one of those like filler lenses they throw on that you immediately forget is there and does anything, but <laughs> technically makes it a triple camera. Um, but the, the core here is really the main lens, which should be pretty impressive. I've had a very quick play around with it. 
Um, taken a few quick shots today because I've only had the phone for a day or two and I've been benchmarking it and battery testing it first and foremost. Um, but what you're getting here is the 50 megapixel Sony IMX766 sensor, which is the same sensor that OnePlus used in the 9 series for its wide angle. And I think because I wasn't in love with those cameras, maybe the more impressive fact is it's the same sensor that Oppo used for both the main and wide angle in the Oppo Find X3 Pro, which for my money is one of the best camera phones you can get right now. Um, partly because that sensor used twice is so phenomenal. So this is one of the best camera sensors you'll get right now. It is definitely a flagship camera sensor. Um, I haven't, you know, used it enough, used enough challenging light conditions to get a sense of how it's been used by OnePlus here. And there's a lot of questions about the software side, which I think it's fair to say is sort of a weakness of theirs on the, on the camera side, but something they're very open that they're really working on. Um, but early signs, I'm pretty positive about this. I like the quick shots I took. Um, no obvious problems with it. Colors look really nice. Details are really solid. Um, there's another like ace up the sleeve here, which is it has optical image stabilization or OIS. Um, I don't want to, I'm not confident enough to say this is the cheapest phone out there with OIS on its main camera, but it's one of the cheaper ones. It's close, right? Yeah. I was trying to think of all the kind of Xiaomi rivals that would be the most likely candidates that also have that feature. And I don't, I can't think of any, but especially one with a sensor, mm -hmm. which has proved itself before yeah. in higher end phones already. So that I think maybe is like this, the biggest strength, maybe more so than the chipset. Yeah. How promising the camera could potentially it's be. It's so weird to look at a OnePlus phone and be like, the best thing about this is the camera. The um. camera. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, OnePlus usually has a bad habit of decent hardware and then they have to refine the software once it's totally. in, in market yeah. with the camera stuff. So, so I presume that's going to be the, the, the case. Exactly. Here. So it's worth saying, you know, hardware isn't everything. OnePlus have to fine tune the software. It will help that they've used this sensor before, hopefully. You know, the fact that it, they've already got experience with this sensor in the 9 series means hopefully from a software perspective, they've, you know, got a head start they can kind of work from. Um, uh, and, and that will hopefully work to their advantage. There is, though, on the camera front, one thing worth flagging just in case there's ambiguity there. There's no Hasselblad link here officially. There's no Hasselblad logo on it, unlike with the 9 series. Uh, when you open the camera app on this one, you don't have the orange Hasselblad finish you don't get a Hasselblad shutter sound so there's no official Hasselblad partnership I say official because part of the complication here is their main contribution for the 9 series was software and uh, color tuning and things like that and it's hard to believe OnePlus haven't incorporated <laughs> that help into the software here you know I, I don't know the terms of their contract and it's i haven't used it enough to really get a sense it feels weird that they would just have to not use that stuff so like all the info and research is just in a safe somewhere yeah and the nord 2 team weren't allowed <laughs> to go near it so i'm guessing <laughs> you're getting some of that color grading and color tuning enhancement from hasselblad in this camera but i cannot say that for sure and oneplus certainly won't say it as much either way um so we'll see. But there's definitely no, officially, this is not a Hasselblad camera in the way that the 9 Series was. Um, but again, I didn't love the 9 Series cameras. So I'm in this weird state where hardware-wise, I look at this and say, it looks like they've nailed the camera setup for the price. But from experience, I feel like even just a couple months ago, OnePlus burned me on the camera front. And so I want I want to know that they've like delivered this time. Um, how would you say the the launch was around the phone? Because I was seeing some kind of chatter mm. on um, 
Twitter about it as it was kind of unfolding. Um, it, was it a particularly unusual event for any reason? It was, in a sense, typical for OnePlus in that it was an unusual event. And, you know, they, they kind of <laughs> joked ahead of time that they were still working on, you know, reinventing the tech launch. And I think especially over the last two years when tech launches have stopped being in-person events for obvious reasons, they, to their credit, have done their best every time to try and figure out what makes sense. And they've done like AR events and, you know, uh, events that are just formatted oddly. So this one opened with a 10 minute short film um, setting out a fictional version of the creation of the Nord 2, um, which was essentially just like an odd mini action movie where, you know, the, the Nord 2 is sort of like crafted uh, and then, you know, f- finished by scientists and then stolen by gunmen who sell it to, like, this ancient tribe what? that worships the god of 5G. And then a collector buys it and then more gunmen come and steal it from the collector and all this stuff is going on. And it was weird. It took about 10 minutes. I think it was a great idea if it had played out over two minutes. Um, and it feels very much like if you watch the <laughs> Apple events, they often do silly things like this. They do little like Mission Impossible skits this. and stuff like that. The smart thing that Apple do is it never runs for more than a minute or two. Um, the OnePlus thing really felt like, I like what you're doing here, but man, like we are we are eight, nine minutes in and we haven't hit <laughs> actual specs on the phone yet. Um, I mean, commitment to, to the bit. <laughs> it's commitment, okay? Yeah. To, to their credit, they, it, they used it to seed details about the phone. They did like mention the core specs that they wanted to boast about through this short film. But the problem is those were all the specs they'd already told us this I week. Say, I would posit, so, if there's one thing OnePlus <laughs> doesn't need to do, it's see details about the no, phone they haven't launched yet Anyone anymore. watching the event knows all that <laughs> stuff already because they've and tweeted it every day this week. Um, it was a little odd. Then they got into the main launch, and the main launch was uh, more more standard, you know, talking head presenters going through specs. Still oneplus lots of jokes, lots of cracking wise, lots of making fun of the concept of launch events and teasing their rivals and stuff like that but a bit more uh, straightforward, really. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I've had this phone for a day or two. I'm very keen to spend more time with it. I absolutely loved the first Nord, which for me was hands down the best mid-range phone of last year and so good that it really knocked how much I liked the flagships that OnePlus did that year because it felt like the Nord was so good it didn't it make sense to buy the flagship phones. Um, and I'm curious to see if this will pull off the same trick for me this year. Um, I'll admit it's got the same problem that I had with the nines, which is I don't love the design and it feels quite bulky and thick and heavy. So the hand feel side of it, I'm definitely less keen on. Uh, I also don't love the colors. If you're in Europe, you get a choice of gray or this kind of very, it is blue. They call it blue, blue haze, but it's a very greeny blue, very, very pale. Um, I like it. I just don't love it. And I, I don't think it's, you know, OnePlus has a lot of great color stuff and this, this doesn't work for me. Um, Indy is actually getting a green leather variant, which I think looks really nice. Um, I'm not sure I love the leather, but the finish, the actual color is beautiful. Um, but it's an India exclusive. So that's a bit of a shame. I was kind of disappointed. I wouldn't get to see that one myself. Um, In terms of the design, it looks like it's it's definitely taking after the, the Nord nine Sorry, the, 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 the nine, nine yeah I, I mean the camera already looked nothing else if, if you're you know on youtube and you can see it, it looks exactly like the one plus nine's camera module essentially yeah. um very consciously aping that glass back metal frame i presume glass but it's, it's the same as the first nord in this respect which is to say it is glass backed 
um, Gorilla Glass 5 on the front and back. But like the first Nord, it's actually a plastic polymer frame, but in a reflective coating designed to look like metal. Um, that is the exact same thing they did until with you the first chip Nord. it. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, they did get knocked for that a bit last year, but I think that's partly because last year they kind of they clearly went to efforts to hide the fact that the frame was plastic, and it took people digging into it to be revealed. They've been a bit more transparent this year about the fact that it is a plastic frame, not metal, um, which I think is smart. I honestly don't think what it's a problem. What display tech are we looking at over here? Uh, the display, yeah, the display is the thing I mentioned at the beginning, which is the one area they've basically changed nothing, which is to say it is a flat 90 hertz full HD plus AMOLED, uh, and it is 6.43 inches. The only change from last year is that last year's one was 6.44 inches. So this is fractionally smaller. Uh, otherwise, display specs are the same. I think that is the other area people may be disappointed. I think there's going to be people out there wondering why this isn't 120 hertz when we've seen yeah. a lot of other phones deliver that, um, even around this price point. Mm. For me, I get that, but I actually think the trade-off is smart here. If, if what they've done is limit the spec to the same as last year to allow them to up the camera, I think that makes sense because it's already AMOLED and it's already high refresh rate. And honestly, yeah. the jump from FHD plus to QHD or the jump from 90 hertz to 120 hertz are jumps that most people won't appreciate and won't notice. And I don't mean I don't mean to sound yeah. disparaging when I say that. I say I don't, you know, I struggle to tell the difference between 90 and 120 and I'm using these phones all the time. Yeah. It's not a yeah. game changer. The jump to 90 was a game changer. The jump up beyond that, less so. So as compromises go, that to me is the one that makes the absolute most sense. Um hold the display at a spec that's very good um, to allow them to hit the flagship bits elsewhere. Cool. Uh, so is it the same price as last year's model or is there any difference there or do we not know yet? We do have pricing. Um, so it's changed a little bit. So for the UK, it's now 379 starting um, and then it goes... A little bit more? Yeah. So it's 379 and then... 499 for the uh, higher RAM. It's um, 8128 and 12256, a standard OnePlus. So that's a very small price hike for the um, origin for the base model. Uh, European pricing is 399 euros and 499 euros, which is pretty simple. Um, I actually was just sent Indian pricing. Um, Indian pricing is 27,000, 20, so 28,000 rupees for the base model, but that's a six gig of RAM one that's India exclusive. Then it goes up to 30 and 35 for the other two. Um, I've also spotted I completely misspoke on the UK. It's 399 for the base and 469 for the top tier one in the UK. Um, so four, that sounds like the same so price for the higher. Four, yeah, that one stayed the same, but the lower spec has yeah. jumped by 30 pounds for the UK. Right. Um, I'm not sure on the India and Euro ones whether they're how they compare. So it looks like what they've gone for generally is make the cheaper one less cheap, um, but keep the top tier the same, which um, I also think makes sense. I'm sure it will disappoint some people, but actually before it was really a hundred pound jump for the extra RAM and storage, which felt a little mm. steep. Now the the jump the gap between the two SKUs makes more sense to me, um, but it does make that base entry level one a little less competitive. Um, Some of the kind of less sexy updates, just having a look at the spec sheet side by side here, is that UFS three point one instead of two point one storage, mm -hmm. so the storage is also faster. Yep. Um, and 
uh, haven't got to the battery yet, but I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second. It's 4,500 milliamp hours, which I think is which the is same. Bigger. Is it a little bit bigger? Apparently it's 41.15 on the, on uh, the Nord, so a nice jump up. And faster yeah. charging. Yeah, much faster and charging. stereo speakers too, yeah. which is nice. Um, so there's a solid so. suite of upgrades across the board, actually. Yeah. I think they've done a reasonable job. It would have been very easy for them to just do a processor bump and a higher res camera sensor or something and call it a day. Um, they clearly have fine-tuned the, the whole experience. Um, the challenge they're going to have, I guess, is, you know, we spoke last week about the Realme GT, which is around the same pricing i think it's a little more expensive but it's pretty close and there you're getting the snapdragon 888 that is faster than the mediatek chip here plus it's got that brand recognition that sense people have that they they trust a snapdragon chip more than they trust a mediatek for better or worse yeah um so we've seen maybe a little bit more competition in this space of people trying to bring top tier internal specs down to that price um so as always it's going to really come down to questions like how well does the camera hold up uh, in actual use? You know, how how do the camera specs, you know, how does camera performance match the on-paper specs? Um, so I'm really looking forward to going and spending a week testing this thing and putting it through its paces. I adored the first Nord. I think I used that phone for about a month or two, which is very rare for me to stick with a phone for that long. But I really didn't feel the need to use a more expensive phone. I was very, very happy with the Nord. Um, and if you'd, if you'd asked me at almost any point last year what phone you should buy, I probably would have just said, for almost anyone, I'll just buy the OnePlus Nord, you know. Um, so hoping this lives up to that. And I think on paper so far, it does. Um, but the competition is a little stronger this year. And that may be yeah. what undoes it. I think Xiaomi's pushed a lot harder in this in the mid-range space this year, especially the sheer number of options. Yeah, especially for Europe. Whereas last year there weren't so yeah. many Xiaomi options. Now for India, the situation is probably pretty similar to what it was in Europe. Xiaomi's been much more aggressive over the last twelve months uh, with what it's pushed down into the mid-range and budget space, and especially the pricing it's hit on those. So yeah, there's tougher competition, and that's the challenge for OnePlus. And the thing is, it it, it I, th I feel like the company's model has been banking on the idea that it's going to have brand loyalty to carry it through this increased competition in, in the segment. The question is, does it still have that brand loyalty? Because it has had an up and down like 12 months or so in terms of the fans' perception of it. Things like the move uh, to close and ties with Oppo and very openly now tie that R&D, tie the software together. Um, things like questions around, you know, all that stuff we've spoken about on the show where, you know, people were worrying that they were throttling app performance or trying to gain benchmarks. And they've been very bullish that they were doing that to improve performance. But I know some people out there are still going to look at that and feel like, I don't want my phone throttling. That's not fair. Um, the move to a MediaTek chip here, I'm sure will burn some other people. So I worry they don't have the the wave of of fan love that they always did. And another thing to add to that is that the Nord was their big return to the mid-range market uh -huh. last year, which in and of itself, you know, hype is always such a an important tool for OnePlus in, in the lead up to a launch. Um, and I think there just isn't as much momentum behind the Nord 2 because the line already exists. Exactly. And we've seen, you know, how the brand has been used across the cheaper devices as well and how it doesn't yeah. always deliver maybe as as effectively as I think OnePlus paints it to. Um, the other thing is, is the software, I, I know it's Oxygen OS, but does it, does it still feel decidedly Oxygen OS? There's no kind of 
inklings or encroaching of, of color OS in there and, and kind of stripping back of the, the unique identity of the experience. Yeah. I haven't Does delved into it party? enough to get a strong sure, sense of that. Sure. Um, so far it feels broadly the same. It's shipping with oxygen OS 11.3. Um, but you know, that's not a new version of it. That is the same version you'll find if you've yeah. uh, updated one of your other OnePlus phones to the latest version. Um, it still feels fundamentally the same so far, but I think that's going to be one of the questions as it goes through updates. Um, and on, on updates while we're there, OnePlus has promised it will get two Android version updates. So it's going to go to Android so, 12 and then Android 13, and that's where it will end. Um, but it will get three years of security patches. So <laughs> that is a solid update promise, not market leading, but pretty decent. They, they promise an extra year's worth um, for their flagship phones, so they very consciously have separated them there. You'd get three Android versions with a flagship. But um, again, for where that this is in the market, I think you'd struggle to find many phones this priced and this specced, yeah. guaranteeing you that level of software support in the future. Um, there are questions still about the pace they're going to do that. OnePlus is quite slow on updates and has been for a while. That, again, is part of the point of this Oppo merger to speed it up. We're yet to see if that's going to bear fruit or not. Um, but yes, I will go away. I will test this more thoroughly, and I will potentially come back on the show for a for a proper review next week or the week after, depending on what else we have to talk about. Because there's a real risk we're going to have a lot to talk about over the next few weeks, <laughs> because people are <laughs> set on launching a lot of phones. Uh, we've had a pretty slow few months in terms of phone hardware launches, and I think we were expecting that to carry on being slow for another month or two but suddenly we've got a lot coming all at once and that's a kind of a mix of things like some phones that were spring phones and have been delayed and some phones that were autumn phones that feel like they're launching a little earlier than we thought and then some stuff we just didn't really know was on the way but suddenly honor just wants to launch another phone and we've all got to deal with it <laughs> Uh, so we're going to run through quickly some of the upcoming launches just a few minutes on each device just to give everyone a sense of what is coming over the next few weeks because quite a few of these launches have just been announced in quick succession uh, and not all of them were you know, clearly on the horizon so some of this is pretty new stuff we weren't weren't expecting to have i'm going to try and go through them in date order as best as i can with all these Ooh. dates rattling around at oh. the top of my head let's see challenge accepted first <laughs> off this is one of the ones that isn't properly official official yet but we expect that next tuesday the 27th of july we're going to see a Chinese launch of the ZTE Axon 30. Um, if you feel confused because you think we've spoken about the Axon 30 before, don't be alarmed. We've spoken about the ZTE Axon 30 Ultra, and for some reason, ZTE kind of did the Ultra first and the regular model what was delayed. Um, the Ultra that Lewis has just held up for the YouTube stream, uh, I actually Lewis was a huge fan of, I know. Um, very, that's, yeah. so correct me if I'm wrong, that's the phone with a triple 64 megapixel camera, right? So that is, yeah. three lenses that are 64 megapixel, and then actually a fourth lens as well. It's a periscope that's not 64 yep. meg. Yeah. So yeah. all in on camera specs on the Axon 30 Ultra. Um, but the one thing it doesn't have is an under display camera. You might remember the Axon 20 last year had a hidden selfie camera. The Axon 30 Ultra just has a punch hole. Uh, the Axon 30, if you can keep up with all this, is going to have <laughs> an under-display camera, we expect. Uh, we kind of know this is on the way. ZT's been teasing it, but a lot of people have been leaking that next week is the launch date. Um, and really everything in our excitement about this phone hinges around that under-display camera, I think. 
because uh, it is still that first ZTX on 20 is still the only phone on the market to to include one, unless I'm much mistaken. Um, uh, I, I think the, the flip side is that it's going to have a more conservative rear camera setup. Yes. Because that front camera is what the whole selling point yeah, is. So compared to the Ultra, yeah. it's definitely going to be a little more basic on the back. Uh, there have been some leaks on that front. I think what we're looking at is a main camera that's 64 megapixel. Um, probably one of the lenses from the Ultra would be a sensible guess, but I'm not sure. Uh, but then it's just going to be paired with an 8 megapixel ultra wide and kind of macro and depth sensors to make it up to four, but similar to the Nord 2. You know, one, one sensor you really care about and then a few more that are uh, less exciting and less impressive. <laughs> um, but that front camera is what it's all about. And really, all our interest in the phone hinges on have they made it better? Because it wasn't great in the Axon 20. Um, I'm pretty sure we spoke about it on the show. If you, if you delve back um, a year's worth of episodes, you'll you'll find me talking about the ZT Axon <laughs> 20. Um, and it was cool, very, very cool. But you could see the square where the camera was. And more damningly, I think it just really compromised actual selfie photo quality. Um, there was definitely, it was struggling to let enough light in through the screen. You got a little bit of extra graininess, certainly poor low light performance, a little bit less detail than you'd like. Um, and it really felt like, uh, felt like first gen tech, which is exactly what it was. But it felt like you were giving up selfie quality to get the novelty factor. Um, and the big hope is that they've found a way to refine that in this year's model. Um, Lewis, how how tempted are you by by another ZTE? I mean, I like it. I, I, the uh, the Ultra model was the first ZTE phone I think I've ever used, so I didn't really know what I was going into it expecting. But um, if there's anything to go by, I really like the display. I really was impressed by the camera performance. So I am interested to see what they do uh, with the slightly cheaper model. But then, yeah, as you say, I'm a bit worried that they the tech just isn't quite there yet. I think that with ZT, it's all about the rear cameras. Right, yeah. Um. I wonder whether they've done much in a year. I think ZT has a habit of trying to be first to have mm -hmm. tech X, Y, or Z and yeah. shout about that, and that's fine. That's not a bad like strategy in terms of brand awareness and stuff. But then once it's out there, is it easy for them to just say, we've updated the chipset, here's the same phone again, but with a new chip? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine they've spent a lot of time refining the front camera. I don't know why. I just feel like they're going to wait for competition to happen before that actually becomes a serious concern of theirs. Which, uh, and if it was the best of yeah. the best as well, they would have put it on the Ultra model. Yeah, they would have. Exactly. Yeah, yes. it would be on their top tier model. If, if they if they knew they knocked it out of the park, you think it would have been on the Ultra. So I do feel like there's still going to be a little bit of a sense of, of compromise to this here. Yeah. Um, sure. OK, moving on. Just two days after the ZTE maybe launches, uh, next Thursday, we will apparently see the Huawei P50. Uh, much, much, much delayed. This is a phone that normally would have launched in March. You would normally expect yeah. the P, the P series flagship to launch in March. Uh, we didn't see it in March. There was then a Harmony OS event in spring where we thought we might see it, and we kind of did. But they just played a kind of 20-second teaser of the phone and then said, yeah, we're doing a Huawei P50, but no, we don't know when. Um, and that was it for a while. 
But now they have announced Thanks, uh, a launch event for next week. Interesting, they say it's kind of a, a flagship product launch, but I think across various things, it sounds like we're going to see more than the P50. Though I'll admit, I'm not sure what else we're we're set to to see. The rumors have always talked about three models, mm-hmm. but I don't think we're seeing three models on the 29. No, yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say. Everything has tipped towards it be a P50, P50 Pro, P50 Pro Plus, but now everyone's yeah. saying, but not next week. Next week, maybe yeah. just the P50, the standard model. The thing I'm surprised by is that, I mean, not not massively surprised, but kind of they've managed to, it, it, even back in March, it was slated to be, potentially, it was going to be the first phone to run Harmony OS out the box because yep. the, the Mate X2 got it or was getting it via software update. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the version that we tested that Dom reviewed was running Android mm-hmm. still. Um uh, you know, it, and Emotion UI, you know, as as previous Huawei phones have run. Um, it looks like that's still going to be the case. So this will still be the first device, I think, to market from Huawei running its own mm-hmm. Harmony OS when you sw- switch it on for the first time, which will be interesting to see how much of an effect that has on, on um, I, I mean, just looking at the Chinese market, how much of an effect that has on its appeal yep. and how well that goes down with Chinese consumers versus previous Huawei flagships, which have obviously never had to worry about the Google mm-hmm aspect of that i do wonder if they've saved any other software perks that are going to be p50 exclusive or that will be introduced on the p50 and then roll out to other models to, to add to that excitement that sense of here's a here's a new there'll be the first time you get yeah to here's it. a new harmony os phone feature we've we are debuting in the yeah. p50 to keep the software excitement there um it's worth saying on the software front um given obviously the mention of google and worries there they have said this is going to get a global launch um, at least the base model. Yeah. So if if you did have the thought that they might just you know ship this one in China and nowhere else because of the Google problem, they they're insisting they will still be shipping globally, as they have with sort of some of their products over the last few years, but not all of them. Um, but this will be going global. Um, spec wise, Toddy, what, what, what's a rough sense of what we're expecting? We know we've we've seen that silly camera module on the back before the two big circles. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> the, the the teaser video they posted the other day showed the P fifty, the base P fifty camera module in in more detail. Um, it looks like a it's a quadra camera setup. One of those sensors could be like a a depth TOF camera, like not actually anything beyond mm-hmm. that. Um, and people picked out the text that they write on underneath the back of the phone, and that gave us a little bit more insight into what the camera hardware might be in terms of the focal range and, and f stops and stuff. The the various shutters it looks like it has got a dedicated telephoto. Um, and an ultra wide, obviously. Uh, so it's not like skimping or dropping down like the Nord 2 has only got what, fewer sensors than its predecessor. Yep. Um, the thing I think that might be interesting is dictating where internationally it launches based on chipset. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's talk of, you know, that apparently Huawei has run out or is very low on its own Kirin 9000 chips, which are its 5 nanometer 5G capable flagship chip, which we saw in the Mate 40 series. Yes, I think so. Um, at the end of last year. Um, and so that's only going into certain models within the P50 range and also certain regions, I think, is where it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also apparently using this 4G version of the Snapdragon 888. Um, and it makes sense for them as a company to prioritize markets where 5G infrastructure just hasn't taken hold yes. to push the 888 version. So there's something to be said for which ones come first might depend on whether the market you live in has a good 5G infrastructure mm-hmm. or not. And also just, yeah the number of units of chips they have available to work with. Yep. Um, so for context, yeah. the reason that's happening is that 
obviously there's been the Huawei blacklist limits to how they can work with US companies. And and they were at some point sort of terms were revised and deals were struck such that they could make deals with Qualcomm to get components, but not ones that used 5G. So they're able to buy chips from Qualcomm, but not 5G chips, only 4G chips. Uh, and on the Kirin front, they're not able to work with the companies that they used for building their chips. So they built the Kirins they built and they can't build anymore. They're not allowed to buy 5G rough, chips man. from anyone else. And so all they can do is use up the last 5G Kirins they've got sitting in warehouses and then buy these 4G chips from, from Qualcomm. So yeah, there's a real chance we're going to see a 4G flagship, which uh, will be the first one for a few years. And I mean, it's yet another blow to them. Uh, uh, you know, a, a, a flagship phone that doesn't run Google services and that doesn't have 5G is a hard sell. An even harder sell than it used to be, um, yeah. but yeah, I think you, you're probably right, Toddy, that we will see them pivot to markets where they reckon that won't hurt them so much. So I know, for example, yeah. in in India yeah. there is five G, but it's definitely not as widespread as it is across a lot of Europe. So I could plausibly see them pushing this as the, you know an India flagship, where being four G just sure. might not hurt them as much. Um, whereas it's very hard to see someone in the UK or Western Europe dropping a grand on a four G phone these days. That doesn't feel realistic. Yeah. Um, okay. So next week, ZTE maybe, and pretty definitely the Huawei P50. Uh, then we're going to have a little break, uh, get through the first little bit of August. And then come August 11th, we now know for sure we are getting Samsung's Galaxy Unpacked event. The next one takes place the afternoon of August 11th. Uh, we don't know officially what we're going to see there, but we can say with some confidence uh, we are pretty definitely seeing foldables because the immediate invite has the tagline, get ready to unfold, uh, and has the sort of abstract shapes that look an awful lot like a Z Fold and a Z Flip side by side. Yes. So probably the Z Flip <laughs> 3 and the Z Fold 3. Uh, and as we've said before, we're also pretty much expecting Galaxy Watch 4, probably several versions. It's gotten a little murky as to what they are. Uh, and then the Galaxy Buds 2. So let's maybe work through those in reverse order and, and end with the phones. Uh, Galaxy Buds 2, mm. potentially the least exciting bit. Um, this is another great tech naming thing because we've had the Galaxy Buds, the Galaxy Buds Plus, <laughs> the Galaxy Buds Live, and the Galaxy Buds Pro. And now, yeah. finally, we have the fifth Galaxy Buds, the Galaxy Buds 2. Uh, yeah. Makes sense to me. <laughs> I'm glad it makes sense to someone. Um, to make matters even more confusing, I was, I was sort of catching up on, on the state of the leaks and rumors we've seen around these. And what's really funny is there's been a lot of uh, disagreement among leakers about how much these are going to cost. Because some people have predicted that they're going to come in at a price around what the original Galaxy Buds did, which is sort of around £100, $100. And that would make sense. They're the sequel to the original Galaxy Buds. They're kind of affordable. Other leaks have put them more at the 150, 170, 180 range, where they're almost the same price as the Galaxy Buds Pro. <laughs> and then you're like, well, wait, where did these, you know, suddenly you're still, they're not the cheap ones, they're not the entry level anymore. The the live would be cheaper than them, and it all gets very, very messy. So we're not entirely sure. Uh, what we do know is design-wise, they are more standard buds. They are round buds within air. There's no stem, and they are not beans like the Galaxy Buds Live. Um, I was wondering, is this an admission that the beans form factor didn't work? Because people who use them actually seem to quite enjoy I, using the Buds Live. I quite Live. like the Buds Live. I'm still hopeful we'll see Buds Live too. 
um honestly right um i i think they but they're their own product for their own i kind feel of like maybe it's that certain type exactly of... sitting in a different line yeah. and maybe, maybe they didn't work and maybe we'll never see them again but i don't think this proves anything either way for me um but yeah look very similar to the originals they've got a nice thing from the case design that we've seen which is yeah. the buds come in a range of colors um that match the the folds um from what we've seen so far but what's interesting is the cases are all white but then the inside of the case is color matched to the buds, which I actually think is really nice. You'll get, let's say, a, a white case that you open it up and then inside it's all this khaki green to match the uh, the color of the buds. There's, there's definitely overlap with the invert, the press invite for the event, the, the, the kind of four colors in those abstract shapes. Yep. Um, definitely overlap with some of the colors we've seen in the leaks for what the inside of the case looks like and the buds themselves look yeah, like. So it oh, looks yes. like there's going to be sort of a black and a a white, a dark green, and, and a, a light purple. purple. Um, yeah. I think on some of the products, we've seen a couple of other colors pop up in leaks. There's been a dark yes. blue of some things and stuff, but those are like they're the core colors um, that, that they're going to roll out. Uh, the last thing to say on the Buds 2, I think, is it looks like they're going to have active noise cancellation, which um, is it will be solid. If, if they are at that lower price range, that will be, that will yeah. be good. Um, and, and needed because, I mean, we've seen just today, OnePlus announced the OnePlus Buds Pro with ANC. Um, and also we know that coming up soon, we have uh, the earbuds from nothing. And there's been a lot of stuff saying that they're going to have ANC as well. So I think ANC at that lower price point is going to become expected soon. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that's the Buds 2. What about the Galaxy Watches? I'm going to hand over to you, Toddy, because I've completely lost track sure. of the latest state of Watch 4 uh, stuff. <laughs> I mean, the, the sizes and the names have all kind of chopped and changed over, yeah. over like the past few months. I think where we're currently at is just the Watch 4, just Watch uh -huh. 4, uh, uh, which was previously talked about the Watch 4 Active. Mm -hmm. That's not the name, apparently, that's happening. And then the Watch 4 Classic, which is the classic was the kind of uh, suffix that we hadn't seen since the gear line of watches before the Galaxy Watch mm -hmm. name came into play. Um, two sizes in each. Uh, I think it's like 40 and 44 for the watch and then 42 and 46 for the Classic. So the Classic is going to be slightly bigger and chunkier. Yep. Um, the name is as such because it's trying to kind of more closely resemble a real timepiece. Yep. It's the one which has the rotating bezel. Um, there are already leaked images on all of this in our lead features. You can check them all out. There's tweets all over the shop of these shots. There's even renders yep. three animated 360 spins around these things. So if you want to see what they look like um, and overlap again with those colors, with the, I think there's like a gold or a beige, there's a, a khaki green um, and a black and a white as well. Um, uh, the other thing is we, we know for a fact that these are, even though we don't know the name is technically official, we know the watches are official for this unpack yes. because that's what they said at the NWC event is that you'll see this watch or these, these new watches, uh, running their new Wear OS, One UI hybrid user experience yep. at the next unpack, which we now know is 11th of August. Yep. So we definitely get the new software. And the last thing is there was just the other day, I think some leaks suggesting that there's going to be a new chipset inside these as well not a qualcomm yeah, one because like, um, i know we were talking about qualcomm earlier but a new samsung exynos yeah and it's going to be a much smaller die process yeah. because i think they're still in double digits on the the chip inside the right. galaxy watch okay. 3 which so efficiency and battery life should go way up it's called like the w920 yeah. or something i don't have it in front of me but yeah it's it's again it's in our, our what for room roundup if you want to check yeah. it out with more detail so this could but yeah it should mean yeah between that and between the software changes could be actually a pretty big leap forward 
um, for the Galaxy uh, Watches. I've never had any issues with the performance on Galaxy Watches. I think, Lewis, you reviewed the Watch 3. Was it a smooth, yeah. Yeah. snappy Yeah, no, watch? I loved it, yeah. Uh, a lot of the Android watches that I review, I do kind of slate them because mm. they don't tend to perform as fast as the Apple watches, Welcome. which is what I use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had no complaints from from the Samsung Galaxy Watch yeah. 3. I thought it was really nice and I really like the bezel as well. So I'm glad that it's coming back yep. at least yep. on some of the models this year. So hopefully that means the power efficiency is the big jump because another thing is battery size hasn't apparently changed. Sure. They're around 400, low 400 milliamp hours cool. um, as they were on the Watch 3 series. Great. All right, let's get to the phones. Um the first one I want to talk about is dear to my heart, the Galaxy Z Flip. <laughs> uh, Sequel to the best phone ever, according to Dom circa 2020. Uh, I'm still coming in a lovely purple color. That lilac finish looks delightful. Excellent. Uh, yes, so this is the Galaxy Z Flip 3. We're pretty sure it's going to be called the Flip 3. We had the Flip and the Flip 5G. There was no Flip 2. But, but this is the third flip, so it does, does kind of make sense. And it also brings the naming in line with the fold, which is definitely going to be the fold three. Um, flip three, kind of the real highlights are the design is changing fairly substantially. It looks like it's going to be a much more matte kind of color finish rather than the very glossy reflective designs of the first wave. Uh, but the bigger change in a way is that sort of the bottom third of the front is now going to be taken up by a black bar. So it's this two-tone look. Pixel 2 visor. Exactly. Sort of yeah, mm. very Pixel 2-y. That's what everyone says as soon like as they it. see it. I think it looks great. Um, part mm. of the reason they've done that is because they're putting in a much bigger outer display now. Um, so the outer display is I think, twice the size or something like that. It will go from before it was kind of used for just icons. You know, you'd see a WhatsApp icon pop up and you knew you had a message. Now it's actually got enough space to do proper scrolling text, uh, you know, real mm. notifications, um, and display a bit more, as well as being a better selfie mirror, which is also what they kind of used it for. So big jump up for the outer display. I'm quite happy with the compromise here. I think anyone who's listened to me talk about this phone before may remember I, my one of my worries about the follow-up was that they'd try and make the outer display full size, you know, the whole the whole outer yep. the front be display. And I liked the size of the, the first one. This feels like a good compromise. It will be a more eff- effective and efficient notification window but it's not trying to become the way you use the phone. You know, there's no pretense that you're going to navigate Android from this little screen. Uh, It's just music controls and and basic stuff. So that looks nice. Um, I think the other really notable change with the flip, because this doesn't look like a massive change in a lot of ways, is the design stuff, the outer display, but then also chipset wise. The first flips used like older flagship chips, um, but the latest leaks are pointing towards this one using the 888. So this will be sort of an up-to-date flagship performance phone in a way that the first-gen flips weren't. Um, the really interesting thing is, despite that, it's apparently going to come cheaper than the first-gen, with with some leaks kind of suggesting as much as 20% price reduction. So this could be coming in only 1100 1200 rather than 1400 um, still a lot of money, but you know, Bargain. much better. <laughs> and that's with spec yeah. jumps um, in, in a few places. I think the camera is the area they're maybe not making as big a leap forward, and that's maybe what's going to sit and, and stagnates. Maybe a, a bit of a harsh word, but 
Samsung did a similar thing with the S21s as well. Mm-hmm. They were cheaper than the predecessors. You could actually see where they'd kind of trimmed things back a bit, but it was still overall a better package yes. than the predecessor, but cost yeah. less. So that obviously that's something they're trying to apply to a lot of their higher end devices this year, I think, just to make them more appealing. Totally. And I think they've been open that that's the aim for the foldables, right, is to, is yeah. to pull them in. Um, and so we might as well talk about the fold as well, um, because the same thing is meant to be happening there. Similar 20% price reduction. Um, and actually, similarly, the big weak spot looks like it's going to be the rear camera, which is to say it will still be a good camera, but they're not, from the look of it, playing Huawei's game of put the absolute best camera possible into the <laughs> foldable and make it an ultra luxury device instead they're consciously keeping the camera less impressive than the s21s uh than the s21 ultra i think it's kind of on a par with the base s21 um but it allows them to hopefully shave a few hundred off the price tag again it's still going to be something like a grand and a half it's not going to be a cheap phone i'm you know i'm not suggesting this is about to like go into our mid-range phone chart or become a budget buy but it's going to be that little bit more approachable for people. And I think that's that's important. It's funny, it's almost retreading the old, I'm talking back like monochrome Nokia days when the communicator range was a thing where you, it was like a candy bar phone that you would open up and it had a keyboard mm. and a big screen, still monochrome, uh, I guess LCD. Um, but, you know, you paid a premium for that productivity angle, which is exactly the same kind of proposition that these phones are trying to push by having that extra screen real estate. Um, but, you know, you'd sacrifice, I think then obviously because cameras weren't on phones yet, it was probably something like battery life or, or other aspects that you'd just be willing to take a hit yep. for to get this extra productivity, this extra real estate and pay more for that, even though you knew there were compromises exactly. elsewhere. Um, so and yeah, the history Productivity <laughs> definitely getting a jump here because one of the other things we know almost for certain now is that this will have S Pen support, which suddenly makes it a much bigger productivity tool, makes the tablet size make much more sense. It also fills in the gap because we know we're not getting a new Note this year. There is no Note 21. There may be another Note next year or it may be the end of the line. We're not sure, but there is no Note this year. So having this use the stylus will help that. Uh, What we don't know is if we packaged in... um, there have been leaks with a design of what looked to be a fold edition S Pen, but we're not sure if that's fold edition because it's packaged with the phone or fold edition because, you know, there's one in a nice color scheme you can buy to match your fold. Um, so we'll see. Either way, it doesn't look like it's going to slot into the phone. I think it's going to be like the S22, the S21 Ultra, where it supports the S Pen, but there's no slot for it. So you will have to get a case, you know, one of the official Samsung cases with an S Pen slot in the case. Um, and the other thing is that we've also seen, uh, I think it was an FCC certification revealed this should support the S Pen Pro, which was announced. Mm. I'd forgotten this even existed, but it was announced in January and just hasn't launched. Um, so I, I, I didn't realize it hadn't actually come out yet. I was aware of it from when they announced it and they yeah. were like, yeah, it's going to support, you know. They announced but... it before the S21 range, I think, or maybe <laughs> with them, I'm not sure. Um, I think it was probably with, with them, yeah. uh, but it still hasn't come out. But we've seen that this supports that, which maybe means the S Pen Pro is finally actually getting a release date, or maybe it will still just be like, yeah, this is what the S Pen Pro, whenever that turns up. Um, it will work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the S Pen Pro <laughs> is basically, I think the main difference is it's got some like, like air gesture stuff, um, that gesture controls, but I, I don't think there's a lot else that's <laughs> radically different. Um, so yeah, I, I not think the, the more interesting thing. thing is the fact that. This is the first, this will be the first foldable with stylus support, I think, that consumers will be able to actually buy that yes. I've seen. I think we've seen like concept stuff from, I think, maybe Lenovo. Yeah. 
in the past, but I can't think of a product on the market already that's in the foldable space that also has stylus support. So that's kind of hmm. a huge deal Definitely. for legitimizing the tech exactly. of both of those things, really. And I think it's, it, it's, a, it's a match made in heaven. Everyone's been waiting for this to be possible. The questions have always been around screen durability. Because it's one thing to be gently prodding a display with your finger. It's another thing to be like tapping at it and scratching across it with a pointy stylus yeah. and... Um, so we, there were a lot of rumors and leaks last year that they wanted to include this for the Fold 2, but just couldn't get the screen durable enough uh, for that to work. And I guess in the 12 months since, they've been able to refine it and, and figure out how to do this. But yeah, I think S Pen support will be a big change. And then the final big change in the Fold that's w w worth talking about is, like the ZTE Axon 30, it should have an under-display selfie camera. So mm. instead of a punch hole on the inside, interrupting the display, and you might remember on the last fold, it's a weird, it's a weirdly positioned selfie camera on the inside because it's in the center of one side of the internal display, which makes it when you've got the screen fully open, it's kind of three quarters along and in a very weird spot. And I'm sure there are very good technical reasons they couldn't just put it in the corner, but either way, it ended up looking a little weird. Uh, Huawei's approach was just to not put a selfie camera on the inside, um, but Samsung is instead here going for an under-display one where it will look invisible-ish. Again, very interesting to see um, how they've done it, whether it's better whether it's better than ZTE's upgraded implementation that we're going to see first. Um, I will say, you know, Toddy, you made the point about the ZTE that there's a worry that they'd happily throw it in this phone, even though they know it's not radically improved. I don't think Samsung puts this in their flagship foldable unless they think it's good. Fair, fair. I would say I hope to hell that they offer up this phone with a, at least one free screen replacement situation because there's so much <laughs> oh, more. Oh, yeah, so many new ways for it to go wrong. Kind of, yeah, exactly. So much could go wrong yeah. now. Terrifying. Uh, but yeah, so that that looks really exciting. I think you know the Fold Three has some really serious steps up from the Fold Two that make it look really noteworthy. Uh, the Flip is more just a refinement and some nice design tweaks um, and and spec shifts, but in ways that to me look like they're going to make a lot of sense. And if both of them are coming down in price, that really does a lot to emphasize the idea that foldables are here and they're here to stay and they they have mainstream mm -hmm. prospects. And that's clearly what Samsung is gunning for in a way that Huawei so far hasn't been and neither neither really did Xiaomi in its its foldable. Uh, yeah. And just a reminder for those who are wondering about the S21 FE, last time we checked in, it seems that chip shortages mean that that is probably getting bumped to October. Yes. But there is still a sliver of a chance that it comes up on August. Yeah. They might even show it off, but not release it. We Maybe, because we've seen a lot of leaks of it. We pretty much know a lot about a lot that of leaks. We just aren't expecting it in August anymore because everyone says they couldn't get enough chipsets to, to do an August release like they'd hoped to. So that's probably October. Um, there's also the Tab S8 floating around. Um, or also mm. not expected in August, but I'm not sure when now potentially, we are. Potentially next year. Yeah. Um, my guess That's is we're going to get an October with the Tab and the FE together, yeah. but we'll see. I think you're right. We'll see. Um, okay, last of these little launches I want to talk about before we, we move on to Netflix, because we have already gone for an hour. Um, the Honor Magic 3, which is going to come hot on the heels of Samsung, it's going to be on August 12th, the day after Samsung's launch event. Um, this is the one I hinted at just really came out of nowhere. So you might remember, it's not that long ago that Honor launched the Honor 50. 
The Honor 50 was notable for being its first flagship totally built after the Huawei separation, though there's definitely still some design language stuff that's a hangover. Um, but also the first Honor phone that they announced would be getting a global release with Google Play services support in its global form. What's weird is they haven't said anything more about that since then. The phone's on sale in China and you can buy it in China without Google. But there's no news, no sign of when it's going to launch in the rest of the world, how much it will cost or anything like that. So it was a bit weird that then they went and announced a global launch event and everyone kind of collectively went, oh, for the Honor 50. Cool. This is when we find out the pricing. <laughs> and then they went and said, oh, no, no, this one's for the Magic 3. <laughs> it's another new phone. <laughs> you still haven't released the last one yet. Um, <laughs> but we did know Magic 3 was coming. They'd mentioned it before because uh, they they dropped the name in Qualcomm's announcement of the 888+. Plus the updated version of the 888. So it now looks like this will be the first phone announced to use that chipset, at least. Uh, who knows, in terms of release dates, what's going to happen. But yeah, Magic 3, new flagship. Um, it's worth noting as well, we've seen a lot of stuff about a Magic Fold being on the way. This now looks to be a different phone. If there's, if the Honor is working on a foldable, this isn't it. We've seen leaks of a um, the rear design of this. It looks like a very, very fairly standard slab phone. Um but with sort of an odd camera arrangement where it has one big lens and then three smaller lenses kind of arranged below it. Um, but it looks like they've gone all in on sort of one big lens with a big sensor. Um, and then pretty impressive specs across the rest of the board. We're expecting a Magic 3 and maybe a Magic 3 Pro as well. Um, they've, you know, on his tease little bits, like today they revealed the image of... Um, a case, an official case for the phone, which confirms the giant big circular camera module in the center. Uh, they've shown the front of the phone, which confirms it's got a dual selfie camera, though probably one of those is a time of flight sensor. Um, and they've confirmed the names of the colors, which I think are magic blue and magic gold, if I'm remembering correctly. That's fantastic. Terrible. Um, Love it. They <laughs> are apparently inspired by uh, the, the magic hour the sort of photographic concept of the, the period where, you know, the hues are just right and you get the best photos. Uh, Wait, what what colours did you say they were? Magic what? I think what? it's magic blue and magic gold, but I, I now feel like yeah, I need so to... If they didn't have a gold, like that's also known as gold now. They exactly, have have yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's definitely magic gold is one of them. Uh, I believe the other one is magic blue. Um, it is, yeah. Great, thank you. Cool. Funny looking phone. <laughs> Looks like it's got very solid specs across the board at competitive prices. One of the weird rumors is that the Magic Pro 3 Pro is actually going to have an under-display camera as well, and that it will be another phone this summer with that. Though, since we already know the regular model has punch-hole cameras, I'm a little suspect of that leak. I, I'm, you know, we'll see, but I'm not expecting an under-display camera. I feel like Honor would be hyping it up more in ahead of time if they if they had that tech ready, to be honest. Um, mm. And yeah, we expect this to also have Google Play services. They've said it's a global launch. So this is another phone we think should have Google Play services, should get a global launch. Um, but now, we're, yeah, we might have two Honor flagships set for global launches imminently, the Honor 50 and the Magic 3. Um, it, it's an odd time, given that we don't even have either of them yet. But yeah, if you are keen to get back on board with Honor phones, uh, you know, you wait, you wait years for an Honor phone and then two come along at once. So keep your eyes peeled. But yeah, that will be on August 12th day off to samsung and that's our little phone summer covered lots of launches coming up busy busy busy, busy. and that's even before we yeah. hit 
iPhones in September, Pixels in October. Oh, yeah. We've got the Pixel 5a floating around somewhere as well, probably in August. Um, but we don't know for sure, though that's going to be US and Japan only. But uh, well and truly, phone season is back upon us. Uh, <laughs> and it, it kicks off. Well, I guess it probably kicked off today with the Nord 2, really. That was, that was the beginning. We didn't even realize. Um, let's move on and turn to our last topic of the day, which is Netflix and gaming. Two topics we don't normally really cover on the show. Uh, but Netflix has confirmed it's going to move into video games, which has been speculated for years. Um, but they've confirmed it today in uh, in an investor's call. They basically officially said, yes, we are doing video games. Um, and I think the thing that's interesting is they confirmed that they are going to start with mobile games. Um, the, the precise quote is, initially will be primarily focused on games for mobile devices. So they've got two hedging words there uh, to cover that eventually <laughs> this will change. And also that even at the beginning, it might not be entirely mobile. There might be other stuff. Um, so there's still they're still leaving enough of vagueness and wiggle room to work around it. Um, but yeah, Netflix doing games. They said they will be covered in existing subscriptions. So people have been wondering whether they were going to do separate charging or new tiers with gaming. It sounds like it's just going to be bundled in, and they are just treating it like we do movies, we do TV shows. Now we're going to do games. It's more of the same thing. Um, yeah, did this did this move come as a surprise to you guys? I follow a lot of the entertainment stuff, so this was expected for me, but I know the two of you are more focused on the tech side. I hadn't heard anything about it until they said it, so I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm down for more competition. Yeah. You know, I, I think I'm the resident Stadia fan, and this isn't quite the same proposition here, but I'm all for competition in mm -hmm. the space. So yeah, absolutely, it's interesting. I think it's interesting that the model they're suggesting is either it goes into the existing subscription fee or they might tweak the fee value, but it's still part of just well, having a Netflix. They've said so far games like. will be included in members Netflix subscription at no additional cost. So they, yeah. they would, unless they cleverly get a price hike in a month before the gaming content <laughs> arrives. And, that's you know. what I mean. I, I reckon that's how they do it. But, um, and the other thing they kind of talk about because they uh, kind of quickly watched the, the, the investors call before this. They were saying about the fact that because, you know, they already have your money, they're not uh, as hellbent as, especially in the mobile gaming space, on monetization in the game, mm. i.e., you know, in-game purchases or buying in-game currency or, or buying cosmetics for your characters or whatever. So games from Netflix that are developed by Netflix or whatever development um, team they use are less likely to have those sorts of tropes in their mobile game portfolio, which is really appealing to me. Um, just because I don't like a lot of mobile mm. games. I play very few, but mainly because I just can't be dealing with all of the pop-ups and, and in-game yep. ads for, you know, the season pass or the, you know, skins for this gun. There player. is a sort of inverse risk there, though, because we have sort of seen bits of this model before in um, mm. primarily, I think, in Apple Arcade. Um, but also yeah. Google has started a new revenue sharing system um, for games on the Play Store uh, that rewards playtime. And they both have that same problem that I'm confident Netflix is going to fall into the same thing, which is, yes, they won't care about monetization, but what they'll care above, about above all else, because we know this is what they care about with their other content, um, is playtime. It's how much time users spend yeah. on it. That is good for some games. Uh, and ongoing games, you know, for those ongoing games to be able to get to play those like forever games, but without constant monetization, that's great. 
But there's this flip side of mobile experiences that are designed to be little narrative things, things that last three hours and you play it once and it's lovely and you never go back to it. And these systems, Apple Arcade kind of started with some of those and has really moved away <laughs> because they don't suit its revenue model at all. And we're going to see the same thing here, I think, which is it won't suit short games. What we're going to see is games that no. they won't be pushing monetization, but they will be pushing that addictive play model, right? It's in their interest yeah. to get you playing every single day, playing for hours at a time, that sort of thing. Because no doubt that is what Netflix will reward. And those are the things it will commission. Um, the the thing they kept coming back to in terms of what sort of games to expect. I mean, they, they weren't talking about specific genres per se, but they were talking about that at least as a jumping off point, uh, using their existing IP. Yes. So shows, you know, there's already a Stranger Things game out there, for example, and there's, you know, <laughs> Game of Thrones for Sky has a game, for HBO has a game, and, and a lot of Walking Dead famously has a whole suite yeah. of games um, behind it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which IPs uh they lead on and how they twist them into a form that you know is a recurring thing that works um, yeah they, they talked a lot about uh trying to expand the universe through the yeah. games whether that's through expanding on specific characters stories and narratives or the worlds that these shows netflix shows you know create um so i'm assuming a lot of it will be original in-house developed content first mm -hmm. they mentioned licensing so i don't know whether that means we can see existing big publishers coming in and doing games for netflix or whether we'll see them you know jump across platforms so we'll eventually see netflix made games on playstation whether that could be a thing as well mm. it'd be interesting to see how that manifests down the line but they're talking like in the years if this plays out to their favor well, there's also obvious space for them to try and work with other you know netflix has its lot of its originals but it also has other stuff it, it licenses and, and licenses it buys so the obvious thing that comes to mind is the witcher you know, big prominent Netflix mm. show based on games. Now, I with what they're setting up, I'm not suggesting The Witcher 3 is about to pop up in your Netflix app. Um, but The Witcher <laughs> has mobile games and spinoffs and things like Gwent, it's card game. And yeah. like, you could easily see Netflix turning and saying like, come on, can we get the Gwent game into the Netflix app? Because again, that tie in that connection to their Witcher shows is, is surely something they won't want to pass up. Um, but I like the point you make about the licensing stuff because they do actually have a really interesting space here which is that they can create games that are canon within their tv shows and their movie worlds which mm -hmm. doesn't really happen you know you think of marvel and marvel's had all this incredible success in the movies and then all these tv shows and it had that first wave of tv shows that it's kind of sidelined but now it's building up the disney plus shows and they're all canonical and everything but through that time we've had loads of marvel games both good and bad and not one of them has been in the canon of that film universe yeah, mm. but Netflix has this space to kind of position it and be like, no, look, if it goes on the service, it's canonical. You know, the the the, the Stranger Things games it builds from now on might officially be part of it, and that adds weight because that and Stranger Things fans feel like, well, I have to play the game too, like to get the yeah. full Stranger yeah. Things canonical experience. Like, it's easy to ignore the game when you're just like, ah, but it's not really part of it. You know, the show writers don't even play it. But if it's canonical and it's involved and it's part of the story, you begin to feel a bit more this pressure of like, oh, I've got to keep up. I've got to play the games too. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how much weight to put behind it, but they, you know, they even mentioned the fact that, you know, if stuff does particularly well, that could inversely inform the next season of the show, for example, mm -hmm. if like, exactly. you know, people love playing this particular character in this particular Netflix game or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it's fascinating how the interplay between their existing kind of style of content and how the gaming content could work together. Yeah. 
um or or, or, or divide audience who knows um I, I was also thinking you know uh th they mentioned that they could see you know whilst they're going to start with mobile they could see basically everywhere where netflix currently is being a potential vessel for supporting their gaming content so that means tablets and phones but also tv and yep. your computer um and uh there's also room i would say for interplay with multiple devices so you know things like jackbox games where your phone is the controller yes we've already seen them use uh you know uh black mirror bandersnatch was a netflix generated you know choose your own adventure um Hanging i can it. totally see them weaving in phone interaction through the netflix app on your phone and your tv at the same time and having some yep. sort of interplay there Being One, fascinating to see what they could do with it well what what will also be interesting is you know you say they they, they want to push towards having this stuff on every platform and also because of the way the netflix library works you feel like they're gonna have to make this cloud gaming I can't see this being a model where you download the game to play it. I feel like you just hit it on the Netflix app and it starts playing, yeah, like Microsoft 100%. has made work with with yeah. Project X Cloud, and we've you know seen other other cloud gaming stuff, which does open the door for them being able to do this on your smart TV because you know it, the TV itself yeah. will not be able to play games meaningfully. There, uh, you know, it's, it's and it also kind of answers the question about how they'd get their games onto iPhone on a subscription basis because there is one app store and that is it you don't you can't you, you can't subscribe to these game subscription services on iPhone like you can on Android mm. so and they don't want to well I imagine they wouldn't want to block out half of their potential gamer base just because it's on a different platform so cloud-based via the browser might be the way to go well that's the question It'll be interesting to yeah see. do they do it via browser is kind of the thing because that has been Microsoft's workaround for iPhone is you can't get an X, uh, an Xbox cloud gaming app anymore, you, you know, that, that does that, you have to go to browser. But I don't know if that works for Netflix because the problem is it's built into the existing thing and you're not going to, when you watch other Netflix, you just open the Netflix app. And yeah. you, you, I think part of the way Apple was sort of dictatorial about this is that you couldn't even have the app give you a link to the website where you play it. Uh. I think you would have to have the whole experience be browser. They can't persuade iPhone users, hey, Whenever you want to play a game, you go to Netflix.com in Safari. They, it just won't happen. They won't do it. No, so no. I still look at this and I think either Netflix knows something we don't about Apple's plans or Netflix is really like betting on the idea that Apple's going to be forced to change by, I don't know, the outcome They've of the Epic lawsuit or just pressure from yeah. the rest of the industry. Maybe Netflix yeah. is banking that it is big enough to to force this in a way that maybe yeah. microsoft isn't maybe if, if they combine yeah. with with you know if they combine with with microsoft and with with nvidia obviously they've all got this this um you know foot in in the streaming game but none of them can put apps on the app store yeah <laughs> this could be the thing that they need to band together and be like look we you know we have such a huge subscriber base between all of us you need to pay attention to us at this point like it's it's unfair you know, because at the end of the day, the consumers are the ones that are losing out. Well, and, and part of the crucial thing is Microsoft and NVIDIA were coming with new platforms, essentially, and saying, we want to launch this new thing. on. And I know Microsoft rolled it into its, you know, into its ga uh, existing Game Pass subscription. But still, to some extent, it's here's this new thing we're launching. And Apple could fairly easily say, yeah, we're just not going to allow it. And people won't, people will be unaware that they're missing out on something. You know, the average consumer might not know that it's there, that they're not getting it. But Netflix exists. And Netflix is massive <laughs> and it's very popular on iPads at least. And I'm sure to some extent I iPhones oh, yeah. too. If Netflix really wants to like throw its weight around and say, hey, we're doing this, ban Netflix if you want. Like, 
who blinks first in that? Apple or Netflix? They're both like giant. N- neither of them wants that to go. I would go. love to see that. Netflix doesn't mm. want to not be available on iPhone, but it would genuinely be a blow to Apple if suddenly iPhones didn't have yeah. Netflix. Like that is a meaningful yeah. change to the ecosystem that really would make some people go, cool, I'm, I'm moving to Android because I want mm-hmm. Netflix, you know? It's the thing with, with Epic is that Fortnite, while it's a hugely popular game, it's just kids, and they're not the ones buying the devices yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. With something with Netflix, that that's then affecting the people that buy these devices, exactly. and that's when it will start to hurt Apple. Yeah, when 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 those commuters start to realize their their iPad or their iPhone just <laughs> doesn't give them Netflix anymore, that is that would be a huge deal if it ever came to that. Um, so yeah, the Netflix could be the company that has enough brute force to just make Apple let it do this. And with that, let everyone do it, maybe. Or maybe it just gets a cushy deal for itself and and everyone else is still hung high and dry. (laughs) (laughs) They've got their Safari apps. They don't need it. Uh, They they didn't paint a timeline for this, but I assume the fact they're talking about it now means that the earliest we'd see it is maybe this time next year. I don't imagine it would hit sooner than Uh, that. Yeah, at least that that long. I mean, it's mobile games, which I I mean, I'm not an expert in dev side. I think they're broadly quicker to market than, you know, a AAA game experience. But even so, I think we're talking about a year. Um, It's possible, of course, they've been working on this more than we thought in the background and they're further along with some titles and they've already got stuff, you know, ready to go. But even just the infrastructure side of this is huge. If they're really trying to set up cloud gaming, um, that was a big project mm. for even someone like Microsoft to do. Um, and Microsoft has gaming experience that Netflix doesn't. So I was just looking, they, they use Amazon servers for their stuff. So it's a pretty solid infrastructure to base any sort yes, of streaming right. of content, regardless of whether it's yeah. gaming or, or just video. Um, so good foundation to work off of. I would yes. Assume. Though I don't know how well that's set up for the cloud gaming side. I know obviously Amazon has its Luna, True. but presumably that's its own custom bit of the setup it does for that. But, um, well, there is also whispers about a partnership with Sony because obviously they've got PlayStation now. They've got their own streaming service already set up. Mm. So there could be something to that. I'm trying to find the solid rumor <laughs> that talks about this <laughs> as we speak. I, I, but, uh, I know there has been talk about Sony and Netflix doing something together. That would be interesting. Um, yeah, so a lot of unknowns still, but interesting, interesting space and could really shift the mobile gaming market around uh, if suddenly this is something you, you find in, in your Netflix app. And as we said, I think if it becomes something where there's a pressure to make TV viewers feel like they should play these games, and that might bring a lot of people in who aren't mobile gamers, mm-hmm. don't normally engage with this It's stuff. already happening with Disney+, Plus, isn't it? Because you can't watch the Marvel films these days without subscribing to Disney+, Plus to watch the series. Exactly. You know, that is what drove so many people to watch to watch Loki, to watch WandaVision, to watch The Mandalorian, is a feeling of, if I want to keep up with the movies, I should do this. And it worked to drive those people to TV. Um even some people who wouldn't normally have signed up to that service. So if they can do the same thing yeah. to drive people to try playing mobile games that they might normally have written off or not just not be interested in, um, could, could be a big shake-up. Cool. Well, extra long episode today. So thank you, everyone, for sticking with us. We will be back same time next week. Uh, as we already mentioned, we will almost certainly be talking about the ZTE Axon 30 if that does get launched. Um, and we should also be talking about the Huawei uh, P50 launch. I'll admit, I haven't checked the timing, and I really hope that lands before the show starts next week rather than after. Uh, I'll be, I don't know if we have a I'm time not sure yet. if there is a time, so sure. yeah, yeah uh, we'll see. But we, we will hopefully 
line things up correctly. If not, I'll be having a pretty stern call with Huawei uh, about about how they line, <laughs> line up their event launches. Uh, not sure what else we'll talk about next week. We will see what else launches. But if failing any other exciting news, I'm sure I will be able to talk more about the Nord 2 and give you my full thoughts because by then I'll have been testing it out thoroughly for a week. So until then, thank you to everyone for watching. Remember to like and subscribe if you're with us on YouTube and see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.